the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Yet another corporation... Uh, this being Amazon. You heard of them? You ever heard of this? Uh, little, never heard of them. It's a little bookstore Small called little Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> they sell books and some, a few other things. Uh, Amazon has told their corporate employees uh, that depending on their tar- uh, their department and with their department head, kind of a team by team scenario, that they can stay, quote, mostly remote for the wow. time being. They have not put an end on remote working. And uh, there's a good chance that many people there at Amazon could work remotely for good. Now, you and I doing a radio show and being pastors, like I think remote working ended a long time ago. Yes. Uh, do you ever struggle with the fact that now it feels like life has changed for good? Like a- everything that we knew on March 1st, right. 2020. Right. It, that's when it was, right? Yeah, 2020 is never going to be the same again. And and I yeah. I don't know. I, th- I think recently I've begun wrestling with that. Like, I don't know that that makes me very happy. I heard a pastor recently refer to it as like how after 9-11, we referred to it as a post 9-11 yeah. world. And he said, from now on, it's a post COVID world. Mm. And and meaning there that 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 March 2020 was like a line in the time, uh, a demarcation in the timeline of our existence. And now there will there will be life that we remember pre-COVID, but now things are post-COVID. I was even thinking about our kids in school. Like, I hope they continue to go to school. Yes. And But I wonder if certain places where you live, if things like, for instance, my son yesterday was telling me that they still do lunch in their classroom. Do they really? Rather than going to the cafeteria. Now, I know this isn't true of every school district. This just happens to be true of elementary school district where my son goes. And I thought to myself, now, I wonder if that's a post-COVID reality from now on. Hmm. Lunch is in the classroom. I wonder if in s- some school districts, masks will continue no matter yeah. what. I mean, I and that feels hard and sad and weird and strange. I wonder if that's just we're now in a new reality, the post-COVID reality. And so let's spin this. We've talked about this before, but I think that it's kind of fun for you and I as pastors to wrestle with this in front of many people out there. <laughs> I love wrestling with things we don't know anything about in front of everyone. What do you do with the fact that undoubtedly COVID is going to be a line in the sand with mm. the church completely changing? Like yeah. there's it's absolutely un- people right, might be right. like, how there's no doubt. This is yep. this is a this is a undoubted this is a theme. Yep. Less people are going to church, yep. less people are valuing church. Church is completely changed. And I know, like the the overly positive people, like this is a time to innovate. Uh, okay, sure. But but how are you wrestling with the fact that undoubtedly March first, twenty twenty, post COVID world, yeah. church is forever different. The only the only thing that's sort of because I have been thinking about this quite a bit because I know and you know a ton of pastors where mm-hmm. just church is different. Attendance is way down. Uh, the way church is happening is different. The only thing that's making me. I don't, I don't know, hope may be a strong word, but 
I do think that um, what we're seeing now, the, those who are part of the church are like all the way in. And mm. we're seeing what it means to be a true church that follows Jesus Christ and connects to Christian community no matter what circumstances are. And what I think that the opportunity is not to innovate, but to really help people, um, especially those who maybe are like, eh, I don't know if I need church anymore. We get to remember and maybe to call people back to what church was always supposed mm-hmm. to be. Not just the thing you attend on Sunday morning, but a body that you're a part of, a family you're yeah. a part of. And so in one sense, I do think there's an opportunity to almost go like pure church, mm. if that makes sense. I feel a book. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe say. That was just a title right there. Um and and not worry so much about just just uh, I, I I'm struggling to even to say what I'm saying as I'm saying it, but I think there's an opportunity. That's yes, what I'm trying to say. It is, and but I I think there's a grieving process that all of us need to get past You're now right, because Brian. You're right. I never. If you had told me on March first, hey, we all saw the pandemic coming yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Things are going to be changed. Remember, we all all those pastors are shooting texts. Are you closing this right. week? What are you doing? Yes. If you had told me church is fundamentally changed forever. Yeah. And how your kids are going to do it. Yeah. How the, I would have said, man, there's no way there's that's no way. possible. You couldn't have seen this this coming for sure. So you're right. You're right. We need some time of grief and and sorrow and lament to move forward. Yeah. We were talking about that at our elder meeting last night at mm. our church. Just like, OK, we do need to acknowledge what's happened. Yeah. But we got to get to the point then where we're, you know, doing where we're like looking forward. Yeah. Like you can't just otherwise just be the slow death. It's totally, just going to be this. Totally. And so churches are different. And it struck me as places like Amazon are telling their workers, don't bother coming in. Yeah. We're good. Uh, and that that is there's no end date to that. And that's going to our world has changed. Well, coming up next, we are excited to be joined by a friend of yours, Dr. Derwin Gray. Uh, founding and lead pastor of Transformation Church. He's also the author of a new book uh, that we are going to talk to him about next year on The Common Good called God, Do You Hear Me? An, an important book about prayer. We're going to talk to Derwin Gray next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined by the co-founder and lead pastor of Transformation Church and also the author of a new book that just looks fabulous called God, Do You Hear Me? Discover the Prayer God Always Answers. That is Dr. Derwin Gray. Derwin, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing better than talking to you guys. Chicago is one of my favorite places in the world. Oh, that's outstanding. It's good to hear, Derwin. Hey, before we jump into this book, uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit more so our audience can get to know you? Yeah, so I am Vicky's husband. We've been together 32 (laughs) years, married 29 years. We, uh, We met second semester my freshman year in college. I was 18, she was 19, and We've been hanging out ever since. I have a daughter, Presley, who's a college graduate at 25, and our son, Jeremiah, is 21, and he's a junior. In 2010, uh, my wife and I co-founded Transformation Church. Uh, We didn't grow up in the church, Mm. and so it was really strange to us that being unsaved people in the nightclub, it looked like Revelation 5-9, every nation, tribe, and tongue, (laughs) but when we became Christians, it was like we had to choose between black church, white church, mm. and churches were more segregated than any aspect of society. 
And as new Christians, we just read the Bible and kind of like believed it, and we saw that Jesus was the promised seed of Abraham, and that mm. God the Father promised Abraham a family mm. that was uh, uh, multi-ethnic, and I like to say a color-blessed family. We're not oh, color-blind, color-blessed. And so we began to ask pastors, like, well, okay, our area is diverse, but why isn't our church? Mm. And we got really non-biblical answers. Mm. And so we just sensed the Holy Spirit say, don't criticize, create. And so both my wife and I have a passion for Jesus, a passion for people. Uh, we're overwhelmed by the good news of Christ that rescued us. But the great thing is individual salvation doesn't just exist for us. God saves us to put us into a family. Amen. And the way this family loves each other bears witness that he rose from the dead. And so, yeah, and uh, I used to play professional football a long time ago. <laughs> and so... Uh, and so, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of awesome. what I do now. I love Jesus. I love people. I love pastors, um, and uh, I love people to learn how to pray. Mm. Mm, that is so awesome. Well, let's jump right into that because the title of your new book is "God, Do You Hear Me?" And we know that it's a book about prayer. Can you talk to us about who you wrote this book for? Yeah, you know, um, I wrote this book for the person who has walked with Jesus for a long, long time but they want to go deeper in prayer. Mm. I wrote this book for a person who feels like, no, God does not hear me. I'm unworthy to be heard. Um, I wrote this book for the person who is just learning about what following Jesus is. Mm. And ultimately I wrote this book because I want to be a part of a generation Mm. that approaches God's throne of grace and mercy with boldness and confidence and pray prayers that make him smile. Oh, love that. That's really well put. Duran, uh, what makes, let, let's just ask it this way, especially for those people who've been believers for a long time, but also for new believers, why is prayer so hard? It seems like a really basic thing, but I'm a pastor. I know I struggle with prayer. And yeah. you know, if I had a nickel for every time somebody told me, uh, pastor, I don't know how to pray or prayer, I don't get it. What makes prayer so hard? You know what I think makes prayer so hard is we project onto God the qualities of humanity. So mm-hmm. think about it. Uh, we are we are trained as an early age from commercials to friendships to even parenting that we're not good enough. Like, you know, you, you come home as a kid with, with four A's and one C and parents spend eight hours on the C and mm-hmm. they'll talk about the four A's. So and we're always told we're not good enough. We're not smart enough. We got to try more. There's never enough. And what we do is we project that onto God the Father. Even for those of us who follow Jesus, it's like, yeah, Jesus died for my sins, but yet God is still mad at me. Mm-hmm. And so why would I pray to someone who I feel like I don't live up to, who I feel like I'll never measure up, that I'm not good enough? And so we're approaching God from a transactional perspective of if I'm good enough, you'll bless me with what I want. Mm-hmm. And we have to really throw all that away. And the Lord's Prayer starts with our Father. Mm. So here's what's different about our Father than earthly fathers or mothers, is once we attach ourselves to Jesus by faith, all that is true of Jesus is now true of us. Mm. It's not fair. That's why it's called grace. That the obedience of Jesus is given to me as a free gift. It's like he took the test of life and scored 100%. I failed, 
but his test takes my place. Mm-hmm. So much so that God the Father says, you are inextricably united to my son. Mm-hmm. And the same way I love my son is the same way that I love you. Hence, that's why Hebrews 4.16 says we can approach God's throne of grace and mercy with boldness and confidence, and we find grace in our time of need. Grace has a name, and it's Jesus. Jesus in his blood not only declares us righteous, but eternally unites us to God that he's fully pleased with us because he's fully pleased with Jesus. And so what happens is, is we stop thinking about ourselves and what we don't do, and we think more about what Christ has done. Amen. And what happens is we begin to approach a father that we know that loves us. And so when we pray our father, we're not approaching him looking for affirmation. We're approaching him from the position of affirmation that Jesus got for us. So I I think if we switch that, if we switch that, prayer becomes more than simply asking for stuff. Mm. Prayer becomes the doorway that we experience God's unending grace. I think that is so powerful, Duran, and, and I want to have you dig into that a little bit deeper. If prayer is more than just asking for stuff, then how do we even begin to pray in a way that feels like it honors God? Yeah, yeah. You know what's really cool, right? So Jesus, um, he tells his disciples in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, he says, therefore, when you pray, you should pray like this. So Jesus literally, not figuratively, not metaphorically, but literally tells us how to pray. And the word pray is written in the Greek language in a present imperative. So it means a continuous, habitual way. Hmm. And so Jesus is literally teaching us how to pray. And when you look at the structure of the Lord's Prayer, can you say it word for word? Yes, I do. Twice a day I say it word, word for word yeah. at night. I pray Psalm 23 before I go to bed, but throughout the day, I'm using the Lord's Prayer as um, choreography. Mm -hmm. So whenever you see someone dance in a play or musical, there's a choreographer. Well, the Lord's Prayer is a choreography so that we can dance to the rhythm of God's grace. And so when you look at the Lord's Prayer, it starts with this Father uh, intimacy, into me you see. And so the Lord's Prayer reveals God's will for humanity. Our job is not God's will for our lives. Our job is how God's will is expressed through our lives. Hmm. But God's will looks like loving intimacy with the Father. It looks like setting God's name apart. That means to be holy, right? He's set apart. It's allegiance. I wear, I've been wearing a wedding, a wedding ring for 29 years. Hmm. That means I'm set apart. Vicki has captivated my heart. I belong to her. Well, to set God apart as holy means in response to his grace in Jesus, my eyes are for him and him alone. And when mm-hmm. false lovers whisper in my ear, I reject them because of the acceptance of Christ. Mm-hmm. God's kingdom, your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. And let me make a point here. Uh, Western American Christians are so busy trying to escape earth, and Jesus is so busy trying to get heaven to earth <laughs> through his disciples. Amen. Good. Amen. Do on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what is God's kingdom? God is so beautiful. He goes, okay, if you're mistaken about what my kingdom is, my eternal son is going to embody what the kingdom is. So everything that Jesus did is what the kingdom of God looks like. When he forgives, when he rebukes, Mm. 
when he's being slandered, he still goes to the cross, when he forgives his disciples for abandoning him, when he heals the woman with the issue of blood, when he goes into Samaria to overcome racism and misogyny. That's what the kingdom of God looks Mm -hmm. like. When he washes the feet of his disciples, that's the kingdom of God. Then it moves to give us this day our daily bread. That's where we begin to ask for things that we need. So notice on Matthew 6, 8 and Matthew 6, 32, Jesus says, well, your father already knows what you need. So maybe prayer is more than asking for things from God. Right. And prayer is more about being with God. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's so good. And he's going to give us what we need, not our greed. Mm. Then it moves into the beauty of forgiveness. No, I just want to encourage people to go get that book called God, Do You Hear Me? Discover the Prayer God Always Answers. Uh, I got to ask you, before we jump back into the book, you told us uh, that you used to play in the NFL uh, if anyone follows you on Twitter, you've got lots of great stuff about football on there going on. I always wondered, how did being in the NFL prepare you to be a pastor? How are they the same? How are they completely different? Uh, I would I would say one of the ways that it prepared me to be a pastor was to realize that playing professional football against 325-pound men is a lot easier than pastoring down the street. That's that's number one. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, you know, I I would say the biggest lesson that I learned was this, is that a football team is comprised of people from different backgrounds, Mm. different shapes and different sizes. You have a coach, you have coaches, you have captains, and you have players. And there's a vision for that team. There's a playbook. Mm. And when everybody is on the same accord, you can do some incredible things. Well, what is the church? The church is, you know, you, you have an owner, Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, you have coaches, which are pastors and staff. And then you have the congregation, right? And then when everybody's on one accord, you can do incredible things in the gospel. What I noticed was with a football team, you accept that your role and you sacrifice. What I found with the church a lot of times is we're very individualistic and we don't understand the concept of team. Mm. We read the Bible through the Western enlightenment of me, myself, and I instead of we. And so even when you look at the Lord's Prayer, it doesn't say your Father in heaven. It says our Father. And so the Bible is a communal book, just as God is communal, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so those are the things that football taught me about teamwork. Teamwork makes the dream work. Everyone has a role. Everyone matters. Uh, Stay aligned to the assignment. Don't let jealousy, envy, or bitterness uh, corrupt what the team could be. That's good. Oh, so good. And Darwin, let me bring that back to your to your book, God Do Hear Me, a book on prayer. Because what is um is there value in communal prayer? Because I do think we we think about prayer as more of a individual, isolated spiritual discipline. But I wonder what would you what would you say to our listeners about prayer in community? It's essential. That that was normative in the early church. Yeah, there are uh, praying individual is important, but community is important. Like last night here at Transformation Church. We have a, uh, 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 we're studying my book, God, do you hear me? And we have a night of prayer. And so 
over a hundred some people were in small groups praying together. Mm. So corporate prayer is important in church. When you read scripture together, that is important. And so corporate prayer is important. What I want to help people do though, is align themselves to the choreography of the Lord's prayer, because by the time you get to give us this day, our daily bread, you're so infatuated and captivated by the will of God you start to pray what God wants for your life instead of what you want for your life. Mm. Mm. And Derwin, you, you mentioned before some of your rhythms. You said you pray the 23rd Psalm, you pray the Lord's Prayer. I'm thinking of the person in their car right now or at home who's like, I don't know where to start. Like, I don't know how to pray. I would point people to your book. But what would you say? Uh, maybe they're a, a longtime believer, but they never really learned to pray, or they're a new believer. How, what's step one? What would you encourage somebody, step one, to begin a prayer life? The step one that I would say is read the Lord's Prayer, mm-hmm. and when you're done, say, uh, Father, I pray that this prayer would be embodied in my life, in my family's life, in my church, in the church around the world and then just sit there and just marinate. And if things come to mind, you pray. If not, then you move on. But then throughout the day, I'm praying things like, Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you're sovereign. Thank you that you're good. Uh, Lord, there are going to be many idols that try to woo me away from you, but may I remember the cross and stay connected to you. Father, may your kingdom be expressed through me. You know, and so, and then also prayer is more than talking to God, but not less than talking to God. Mm. Prayer is a posture of our souls that are open to his divine presence and influence. Mm. Oh, that's so good. Derwin, y- your book is uh, broken up into five different sections, discovering who our father is, discovering God's kingdom and your priestly role in it, depending on the bread of life diving into God's forgiveness and developing a wartime mindset. You're working through the um, Lord's Prayer. I wonder if you could speak to that last one a little bit, developing a wartime mindset. What do you mean about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so the first thing is, if you're a follower of Jesus, our weapons of war is faith, hope, and love. Mm. And we do our best fighting when we're on our knees. And what I mean by, by that is when you look at the last part of the Lord's Prayer, it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, we know from Hebrews 6 that God does not lead us into temptation. We know from 1 Corinthians ten thirteen that God gives us a way out of temptation. So what's happening? What's happening is, is Jesus is retracing his time in the wilderness when he was tempted by the devil. In Matthew 3, 17, Jesus is baptized and he's promptly <clears throat> sent to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And the three temptations of the devil are the three temptations that he used on the nation of Israel in the wilderness after they were freed from slavery in Egypt. Hmm. It's the three temptations that he used against Adam and Eve. So where Adam and Eve failed, where Israel failed, where you and I failed, Jesus succeeded because the Hmm. devil only has three tricks. And here they are. You are what you do. Hmm. You are what others think. You are what you possess. Hmm. So uh, performance, popularity, possessions. I got that from Pete Scazzaro, and I think he got that from Henry Nowen. Hmm. But nevertheless, three times Jesus says, but it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of God's mouth. And so Jesus quotes Scripture. 
So what does that mean for us? It means for us that we are not what we do. We are what Christ has done. Mm -hmm. We are not what others think. We are what the Father thinks. We are not what we possess because we are possessions. We've been bought with a price. So therefore, we have to renew our minds with this truth. The scene of the crime is your mind. Mm. That's why Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm. Like, we try to make it more difficult than it is, and the reality is, we tend to react to our feelings versus respond to truth. Truth and my feelings do not often correspond, but if <laughs> I follow truth, my feelings will catch up. Mm. So the better we know Scripture, the better we're actually going to pray. Then Jesus defeated sin, death, and evil through the cross. A lot of times, many Christians are Friday Christians. Jesus died for my sins. So here's a quick, quick, quick a question. If we're spiritually dead, or let, let's just say we're a, a corpse, and someone says to a corpse, I forgive you, that doesn't do the corpse any good. Because right, dead. right, well, right. When, when we are forgiven by God, we're also made alive by God. Amen. We're, we're, we're not just a Friday people, we're a Sunday morning pe people. Mm, Jesus, right. who rose from the dead, lives in us. So therefore, we no longer have to give in to the temptation of sin. We no longer have to fear death because Jesus left death in that tomb. Yeah. And the devil has been defeated by the work of Christ. That's Even right. though things look dark at times, the light has come. And now we're joining Jesus, not looking to escape earth, but looking to turn earth into a future that's coming, Amen. which is the new heavens and new earth. That's such a good word, my friend. If you want more of that, let me encourage you to go get this book. God, do you hear me? Discover the prayer God always answered. Derwin has also written several other books, including a bestseller called The Good Life, What Jesus Teaches About Finding True Happiness. You can find him at DerwinLGray.com, and he's a great follow on Twitter, at DerwinLGray. That's at DerwinLGray. Derwin, this was absolutely our pleasure. Thanks for spending so much time with us today. Hey, thank you. Y'all have a good day, okay? You, you too, too, friend. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. That music can only mean one thing. It's time for us to vent, Aubrey. <laughs> it's time for us to have some fun every You're now and then. You're starting to do this weekly, Brian. I... You got a lot to vent about, young man. There is, there is a valuable point there. And I was telling you off air... Uh, driving to the studio today, I had a great one in mind, which was like, all right, we got to do Grind Swing Gear 6. I have this one. I can't remember it. Maybe that's when you're Grind Swing Brian is losing his mind and he's mad about it. <laughs> if if I do start to like go crazy in the next uh, year or so, oh, no. like mark this time. Okay, right this now. is the moment his downfall began. <laughs> Actually, I don't even sure it's the moment. It just is continuing. So here's how this segment works. We like to pull it out. It used to be monthly, as Aubrey said. Now it's like weekly. Soon it will be a daily occurrence. <laughs> It is just our chance to uh, shake our fist a little bit and go, you know what really bugs me or grinds my gears? You know what really bothers me? And for us to vent a little bit, yeah. because here's what we're looking for. People out there probably feel the same way about some of these. Go, yeah. Now, what's the caveat we always say, Aubrey? This is not yes. your time or our time to vent about 
uh, huge injustices in the world. Right. Like this is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, but we're not saying like we're mad about cancer. We're <laughs> mad about world hunger. Those are true. Just assume foundationally yes. those things are always true about us. Like what you can't do here is like, you know what really grinds my gears? COVID. <laughs> <laughs> like that is yeah, not where is we're going. This is more like here. petty venting. All right. And speaking of petty venting, I will go first. Okay. Uh, by the way, if you ever started a band, Petty Venting that could be a, a good, good band name. name. <laughs> Write that down. Now, uh, who are you going to go see tonight? Petty Venting. Petty Venting. Okay. My first one is this, Aubrey. You okay. you drop your children off at school. Is that I correct? do. I do. So generally, I will drop, especially my two youngest, at uh, their junior high. One okay. is in eighth grade. One is in seventh grade. And it is very... Um, there's just one kind of road in. Yes. Okay. To the middle school where my kids go to school. And it is, uh, there's a system to it, right? Like you pull forward, you drop your kids off. It kind of makes the line and then it goes back down the road a little bit. But every now and then it really starts to back up. Yes. And and the question is, why does it back up? And this is going to get at my, uh, what bothers me so much. Okay, let's hear it. Is the parents who don't follow the rules <laughs> and instead start dropping their kids off further or a back earlier, and then yes. little little Johnny or little yes. Jane decides they've got to they got to take five minutes to like get yes. their band thing out, yes. to get their instrument out, yes. to get their lunch, and there's a third kid coming from the yes. trunk, and all of a sudden this backup goes far, and you know what's not there where there's nobody. At the drop-off right. area. You just scoot up a little bit it. and do it all. What yes. you have to do, people, is wait your turn. Yes. You go, uh, we've talked a lot about the common good and the greater good with vaccines and stuff. You know where that is most shown <laughs> is at middle school drop-off. Amen. Just wait Amen. your turn. It might be two more minutes till the people in front of you go and you can pull yeah, up uh, to where they've designated the drop-off yes. area. It drives me up a wall because these parents, you're like... Like, what makes you better than, than the everyone rest else of us? who's waiting in line and also has to get to work and also has to do X, Y, Z. And if you think it's nice enough for, for <laughs> your little kid to walk, like, then let them walk let from them further. Walk. Drop yeah. them off three blocks Where from the school. Where you're not even in the carpool lane. And don't yeah. back us up. I, this is why I love having a radio show, Aubrey, because I sat in that line and I watched two parents do that today. And I said, oh, I'm talking about Oh, we're talking about today. this. I'm going on air with <laughs> Does this. Does that happen at your school? So it's so funny you say this because now this is bringing up a lot of like carpool lane grinds my gears that I yes. didn't know that I had, but I'm yes. like, oh, yes. So here's what happens at ours. This, what you're talking about, there's also a few parents who decide they want to get out of the car, the car and park, get out of the car, walk around the car and give their kids a hug and a kiss. No, do not do that. Do that at home before you get in the car. They know you love them. Say, I love you as they're leaving. <laughs> Don't stop and get out, walk all the way around. No, absolutely not. That grinds my gears. Let Here's me, the other. Can I say one yes, more carpool thing and then yes. I'll, I'll hand it back over to you? So in our carpool situation, there are cars coming from two different directions going to one oh. place. And so the, the rule, the regulation, the communication is you zipper merge. One car, then the other car. Yep. One car, the other car. What, I gotcha. what grinds my gears <laughs> is those drivers who just think, oh, I don't have to zipper merge. And they just go, 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 go. And, you, and you're sitting there waiting. Like, wait, it's my turn. It, it almost causes a car wreck. It makes yep. it last longer it for it everybody. It's Yes. Yes, carpool 
We could have a whole we could have Let a whole segment you. on this. Okay. I've never seen the person get out and hug their kid. Maybe that's a Downers Grove thing where I live. People don't do that. For their <laughs> they kid. don't love their children. But next time that happens, I want to I want to encourage you. I must say, dare I want to encourage you. Lay on your horn. You think so? Just lay on that thing. right in front, right front of the school. <laughs> just lay it on thick. All right, now good. That was good venting for me. What's one, your Brian. what? What is yours? Okay, this is uh, not carpool, but this is car related. Mm-hmm. So. Apparently, this is a thing, Brian, but I didn't know it was a thing until recently. So the past few times I've driven up to the studio, I drive from West Chicago up here to Elk Grove Village. Uh, I have noticed that there are usually a pair of cars racing on the highway. And I don't mean driving fast. I mean, they're literally racing each other. So here's a crazy thing. I was talking with my aunt on the phone and I was like... (gasps) This cars are racing. What is going on? And she goes, oh, have you not heard about this? This is a whole new thing post-COVID that people are doing drag racing on the no. main highway. Yes. So I've seen it three times. And I thought maybe it was just, I don't know. I just happened to be on the road with crazy drivers. This is a thing. And it grinds my gears because it's unsafe and stupid. I have seen that. Now that you say that, yes. I've seen that so Many it's times. It's a thing. We drive to my brother-in-law and sister-in-law's house out right by you. Yeah. They're kind of in Winfield, West Chicago. They're in West Chicago. And to, for us to get there, we get on 88. Yeah. And it feels like the Autobahn. I'm telling you. There are people, like I'm doing 70. I'm not a slow driver. Yeah. I'm doing 70, yeah. 75, 80. And they, I might as well be going in reverse. Yes. That is fascinating. Isn't that fascinating? So that grinds my gears because it's dumb. It is dumb. If you're doing it, you're dumb. Stop doing it. I always hope secretly like that I will see them pulled over yeah. up ahead of me. And then you can kind of laugh. I would be a complete liar if I haven't said I wouldn't mind seeing some of them wrecked further up. But Whoa. That's wow. When I'm in you, a bad wow. Spot. You just took that's it, to, a, you took it to another level. All right. Brian. Two minutes. So let me give you one more. Uh, so this is, let me, I like to set the context in the setting. Yep. I'm watching baseball with my kids. Okay. We're We're in the living room or we're watching like a sitcom. Like it is not like we're watching. You know, some, uh, you know, more kind of uh, NCIS or CSI. It's a family show. But but specifically, I'm watching NFL football. I'm watching Major League Baseball. Okay. My eighth grade son is in the room. My seventh grade daughter is in the room. Yeah. And there are regularly commercials that come on for uh, like TBS with baseball right now. It is every commercial is like. Michael Myers, uh, you know, like ah, movies. Oh, little, little, little. Or yeah, scary. Like a really scary, really like dark the conjuring shows. or something. Uh, I don't like that I, at all. Because it's Halloween, that's why. Let's not get too descriptive, but during baseball and football, they are regularly running commercials for uh, men's issues. Oh, for, wow. For okay, and you're okay. just like, my wife looks at me, I'm like trying to hit uh, pause. And it feels like almost every commercial. Yeah. So I'm not watching anything that's questionable. Right, right. I'm watching a football game. Right. I'm watching a baseball game. And then I don't pay attention to the commercials. And all of a sudden, my kids are hearing things. And that being I'm like, inundated by things you don't want them to hear. And oh. you know what freaks me out about this is those same ads are on YouTube where they're watching. My kids watch gamers play games on YouTube for some reason. I don't know why. But <laughs> like, like, let's say a, a scary movie, for example. My sons will be like, oh, yeah, I saw that commercial. Because I'll be like, guys, turn it off. 
They're like, no, we've seen this on YouTube 4,000 times. And I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> so even on these like little YouTube videos my kids are watching, they're being targeted with these terrible ads. I, I, it is. It makes me thankful for being able to pause yeah. TV now and fast forward. But I've noticed a lot because I've been watching a lot of football and a lot of baseball. And it just becomes background noise yeah. until you realize the background noise uh, is things you don't want your children don't seeing like that or at hearing. All. And I want to be like... I understand the audience for a baseball game is probably Older middle, middle-aged men, yeah. and so they're, they're targeting yeah. them. But please know who else is watching mm-hmm. that. Oh, drives me up mm-hmm. walks. It always makes me feel good to do this segment. It makes me. It is. It's good to get it get it okay. off of our. Chest. So I'll yeah. race you home. You and I are down three fifty five. I like race. that. We'll drag race. Our producer Debbie can wave the flag for us, uh, we and we'll just off. go. Yeah, if you're out there drag racing right now, thanks for listening. But st- stop what you're doing. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about what we can learn about resilience from young people who are facing suffering. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. I'm Aubrey Sampson, joined by my co-host, Brian Fromm, and we're so glad to have you with us. You know that I like to watch Good Morning America. Yes, you, do. you like to what's your morning the show? The Today Show. The Today Show. Uh, Savannah and Hoda. Those are my those girls. Those are your girls. We have like rival morning shows that I don't we watch. Mind Good Morning America. Yeah. In fact, Michael Strahan was a Hall of Famer for my favorite team, oh, the New York Giants. Right. So. Oh yeah. And I actually do like the Today Show too, because I love Kathy Lee and Hoda. So but over at Good Morning America, they shared a story of a two year old from Mount Vernon, Illinois. His name was Adrian, is Adrian James, and he is one of the more than 320,000 children diagnosed with COVID-19. He faced severe complications from the virus, had a two-week stay in the hospital, and was kept alive on a ventilator. Which it's amazing. Can you imagine being this young nope. boy's parents? I would be so devastated. His mom is quoted as saying at one point, I honestly didn't know whether he was going to make it or not because it took him so long to show signs of improvement. And then what she says, her first son's symptom was just a mild cough. Yeah, yeah She was crazy. so scared. He developed pneumonia while battling COVID, but he was discharged from the hospital on Monday. And there's some very cute pictures of him in the hospital with like a hero mask and a cape on. And he's playing with a Buzz Lightyear toy and just very smiley and precious. He is continuing to recover. They'll have to keep checking on his lungs, but praising God that he is doing okay. But you know what this made me think of? What's that? There are so many people. I mean, we we hear incredible stories from Johnny Erickson Tata. We've had Vanitha Reisner on the show before, Nick Vujicic, who have faced just incredibly real suffering and then and then there are i mean those are adults there are young people who face such such hard things and yet we learn from them we'd never wish that on them but you learn from them a beautiful example of resilience Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. suffering that's right and uh, you know brian i i guess i just thought it would be interesting to talk about hey look many of us are going through something difficult right now. Maybe it's a family member who's Mm -hmm. sick and in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's our own illness that we are dealing with. Maybe it's just fear because of this new post-COVID world we're living in. Maybe it's job loss because of all that went down in COVID. Or, you know, maybe it's just like, hey, you wish things were what they were, but they're not there. You're feeling isolated, lonely. So many people hurting right now. What do you think we can learn from some of these very resilient people? 
Yeah, it's it's a great question because, like you said, we don't wish pain and suffering for ourselves at any point. Like, there's no point where I've thought to myself, you know what I really wish I had? I wish I had cancer. You know mm, what I mean? Right, or, right. Or fill in the blank of hard part. Yet what we know is that those people who go through the darkest times, they seem to have a not just a resiliency, but a relationship with Jesus that re- that has a depth to it. Mm. Because I think they've lived knowing uh, that in my darkest moments, he is still present. Yeah, that's I know, it. That's you it. know, the couple times where, where Carrie and I have gone through hard times, I know it's in those moments where I go, I never want to face that again. But man, God was good. God was good. Yes. And and you do. It, it's a couple. It reminds me of a couple of things here, Aubrey, that you bring up. One is we don't need to live in fear. Right. Like there's a reason that this story about this boy is all over the news. It's because. It's really, really unique. Absolutely. (laughs) It's very unique. But it's also on the flip side, a reminder that our kids are not immune to bad things. We're not immune to bad things. Our loved ones like this is a broken world that we live in uh, and that God promises to still be present and active in the midst of the brokenness. And I don't Mm -hmm. think. We get ourselves in a lot of trouble when we promise people, oh, just follow Jesus. Things will be perfect. (laughs) Right. will be great. Uh, Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. Right. That is not a promise of scripture exactly. that if you follow Jesus, everything will be great. Exactly. And so I think we what 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 I take away from a story of a two year old on a ventilator mm. is, man, this world stinks. Yeah. Right. Uh, this world is not fair. Right. When I see on Facebook, somebody post something. I saw one the other day where there was a kid who had a big smile on his face who had had 40 surgeries already in his life. Mm. And you're like, well, that's not fair. Right. Uh, or, you know, person who's a very godly person, this and that, and yeah. has a heart attack. Right. And you're, we're reminded over and over and over again, life is not fair, but that God in the unfairness is still present. Mm. Things are going to become fair. Yes. And then you bring up the Joni Erickson Tadas and others. You can wallow and just sit and, and yeah. just, just not be able to get past the unfairness. Yeah. Or you can embrace it and go about mm-hmm. your life and allow God to use that brokenness to help other people. Yeah. And so all of that's a lot, but I think I'm reminded of those things that life's unfair. What, what are we going to do with it? Yeah. And, and I, I think that's a really good point, Brian, because sometimes these situations that are so difficult and feel so evil, they do really become a question mm-hmm. in our lives. Are you going to walk away from the God you love? Are you going to sit in loneliness and grief and isolation? Which, listen, that would be understandable. Mm-hmm. Or are you going to, in your grief, in your isolation, in your heartache, embrace your faith and the belief that God is good, God is here in this, and somehow, mm. somehow through it, God is still writing a more beautiful narrative than we could imagine and making all things new. And I do think it, it, you know, not to oversimplify anyone's pain or grief or suffering, but I know in, you know, Kevin and I walked through some really hard seasons in 2015, uh, mm-hmm. just suffering after suffering after suffering. It really did become a question of, okay, am I leaning in? Or am I just done? Like, yes. am I done with my faith or That's am right. I going to lean into Jesus like I never have before? And I think what all of these people, you know, obviously this little precious two-year-old can't speak for himself, but Johnny Erickson, Todd, Vanitha Reisner, Nick Vujicic, what they would all say is that over and abundantly, God has been so faithful and so good mm. in their valleys and yeah. has used those seasons to draw them closer to him and make them That's more right. like him. That's right. I think we have to then 
The, the difficult part comes now when you and Kevin go through hard times. How do you actually live that out? Yeah. Uh, we've all preached this sermon, right? Like in the midst of our suffering, that's where we find God in deep ways. He promises to be with you, you know, at your darkest moments. The hard part is living that out. And so I guess I'd want to say to the person out there right now who's really struggling yeah. with the unfairness of life, uh, this world is broken. Mm-hmm. We've been promised that it's broken and it's going to be hard. There's coming a day where this will not be our reality. But in this already not yet in this time, we can hold fast to God and we can say, OK, I'm going to trust you that you are good and that you are present. Uh, as opposed to, like you said, um, what I'm going through this. God's God. Right. God, God's dead. Right. To me. I'm right. Out. Like there comes that choice that you're going to need to make. And I'd encourage people run in your pain, in the unfairness, run to God. Yep, that's so good, Brian. Thanks for that reminder. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about seasons of doubt in our devotion to Christ. And specifically, we're going to talk about that in light of a new C.S. Lewis movie that's coming out. You're going to want to stick around for that. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host Brian Fromm, and we hope you are enjoying this evening. One of our favorite things to do at the end of every show is give you something inspiring, encouraging, or meaningful to think about. Brian, I was just on Christianity Today, and I didn't know this. You may have known this. There's a brand new C.S. Lewis movie coming out. I did not know this. It looks so fantastic. Um, it's a C.S. Lewis movie really about how he came to Christ. And I mean, you know, I want to play part of the trailer for you. But before we do that, I feel like every evangelical pastor in America loves, quotes, reads C.S. Lewis. So on more than one occasion, I've said from the pulpit of our church in a in like a laughing way. Uh huh. Uh, I've said something like, I don't know who said this, so I'm just going to say it was C.S. Lewis. And then <laughs> yes, I've gone on because that's, that's exactly how it works. It's yes. always C.S. Lewis said this. Yes. C.S. Lewis said that. Yeah, absolutely true. And I think part of the reason that we go to C.S. Lewis is because he was an intellect yeah. and his uh, came to faith after reasoning through his faith. Mm-hmm. And so we feel like we can appeal to that because he um, was so convinced of his faith. It wasn't emotional. It was like an intellectual choice. That's right. And plus, we've all we've all seen the movies and read the books. Of, yeah, uh, I mean, we love Narnia. Narnia. Yeah, yeah. yeah there, there's definitely a heart for Nar- Narnia in many of us. Okay, so I want to go ahead and play a little clip of the movie because it looks fantastic. But then what I really want to talk about is uh, how we move from doubt to devotion like Lewis did. So let's go ahead and listen to that. I never cared for my name, Clive Staples. The world came to know me as C.S. Lewis. Perhaps you read my books. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is the most famous, but there's one story that's not so well known. It's my story. And who better to tell it than me? There's no God behind the universe, a God indifferent to good and evil, or worse, an evil God. Do you believe that logic and reason bring forth indisputable truth? I do. And are your moral and aesthetic judgments valid and meaningful? They are. For the first time, I examined myself with a serious, practical purpose. What I found appalled me. How could a mere man be called a great moral teacher and say the sort of things Jesus said? Such as? That night, as I read Fantastis, my imagination was baptized. 
the rest of me took a little longer. Okay, doesn't that look so fantastic? I cannot. Sometimes I feel like Christian movies can come across a little bit derivative, but this yeah. one actually looks really good. Well written, good acting. I'm excited Hopefully. about it. Hopefully. Yeah. And I think what it's doing, it's interesting, Aubrey, because there seems to be an influx of these movies kind of re examining people That's from the Christianity or, or, you know, all the. You just say, uh, Mr. Rogers, mm-hmm. or we've been talking about this new Tammy Faye Baker right, one, and right. C.S. Lewis, and I'm sure there's more. I wonder what that's all about. But I think it is trying to provide deeper context to who C.S. Lewis was, because yeah. we can make caricatures of these people. Absolutely. Uh, whether it be in the Christian faith, well, C.S. Lewis, he never struggled, he never this, he just wrote all these great theologies and these great books. Uh, but we also do it in politics, right? Like yes. uh, Abraham Lincoln, he was the perfect per- You know, we do all of this. And so there is something helpful about adding context to these people and going, okay, no, uh, I love this line in this Christianity Today article. It says that C.S. Lewis dragged his feet on his way to kneeling at the foot of the cross. Mm. He argued against Christianity for years, rejected the concept of God uh, who had not answered his childhood prayers to save his mother's life. And when he finally surrendered to Jesus, he did so as not as the most, he did so as the most reluctant convert, one who still wanted to shake his head at Christianity's claims but no longer could. It's not like this, oh, C.S. Lewis believed everything and never struggled. There was a real doubt, a real fight, which adds context to his faith, to Mm -hmm. his writings, but we don't talk a lot about that, about C.S. Lewis. Earlier, we talked about Bonhoeffer, other people. We don't provide that context. Um, And by the way, that's the title of the new movie, The Most Reluctant Convert. I think that's so perfect. But, you know, one of the things that Brian was just referencing an article by Abby Perry over at Christianity Today, Doubt That Led to Devotion, The Untold Story of C.S. Lewis. One of the things that I think is so fascinating is she really uh, talks about it. And I know this because I worked at the Wade Center at Wheaton College, is that um, part of what really moved Lewis to consider faith for the very first time was his friendship with J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm. They were that's a crazy one. Isn't yeah. that insane? They studied together at Oxford along with some other really brilliant writers and brilliant thinkers who were faithful followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And there are stories. I mean, this is true. This you can you can find the research that shows us there are stories that those two Tolkien and Lewis would go on walks together. And I think the movie's going to portray this as well, where Tolkien would just pose some really thoughtful yeah. questions to Lewis, helping him to consider, hey, uh, is there any reasonable um, thing mm-hmm. behind the Christian faith? And eventually, like Tolkien asked Lewis enough questions that he was like, I think there is. I think God <laughs> yes. actually is God and yes. God actually is good. And I, I don't know. There's something to me that's really encouraging about that, that power that community can have and friends can have when we know someone who's walking through a season of doubt or a season of seeking or a season of hardship. Here's Lewis still grieving over the loss of his mother at a young age. And and Tolkien became such an influential figure in his life that eventually Lewis came to Christ. There's yes. something really beautiful about yeah, that. Yeah, because again, we kind of paint these guys and, and make them what we want them to be, mm-hmm. right? Oh, C.S. Lewis, he was uh, he wrote the, you know, the lion, the witch and the wardrobe, right. the lion is God like that. That was Lewis's God, right? This vision of God. And uh, no, I love that idea of these two of the most famous writers of all time. Isn't right? that amazing? Just, just having these, you know, the inklings, right? Like they're just having yep. these conversations and these debates. These are real people. And, and I think that what makes this beautiful is that we can then embrace the fact that, you know what, if someone like Lewis doubted and struggled and wrestled, 
I can too. God's big enough for that in yeah, me. Yeah, that's good. God's big enough for me to doubt and wrestle and uh, shake my fist and even follow him faithfully, but with some doubt. Like, yeah. th- like that's okay. Not everything has mm. to be a bow. And I can look at somebody like C.S. Lewis's life and go, okay, if he can be at that spot, honestly, so can I. Yeah. But God's still good. God's still big enough for this. Yeah, it's so, so powerful. Such a good reminder for all of us that even even in our doubt, like we can still have mm-hmm. faith. Like both things can exist at the same time. And um, what I love that's so beautiful about Lewis's conversion is that because he was such an imaginative guy, again, mm. writing The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, writing the Space Trilogy and these other things, but also this intellect. I mean, writing mere Christianity, right. writing these incredible lectures, being a scholar, that for Lewis, it became the fact that those two could exist at the same time, the imagination and the reason and that God was in both. That was a really powerful part of his conversion to Christianity. It's and great. sometimes I think we miss that, that we think... Either Christianity isn't for academics and intellectuals or it isn't for those who have imaginations and creativity. But what we learn from Lewis and what we learn from other followers of Jesus is that both like God redeems and uses both. That's right. That's a great word. That's a great word. Let me ask you a very honest question. Okay. As we close out. Yep. Have you ever finished mere Christianity? Never. Have you? No. Yeah. No. I got half. I've gotten halfway through multiple times in college because in college you feel like. Especially at Wheaton, you're like supposed to read mere Christianity. Well, yeah. If if you you kind of when you're in college and you're like studying the Bible, you feel like, all right, I need to uh, learn Greek. I need to read my Bible mm-hmm. and I need to read mere Christianity yeah. and f- fully understand it. I got like a couple in. I'm, nope, I'm nope. done. <laughs> nope. I actually finished G.K. Chesterton's book, Mere Orthodoxy, oh. before I finished. I mean, I still haven't finished mere Christianity. That's your so. homework. Read, read mere Christianity. Okay, I'll do that on my vacation next week. Well, thanks so much for <laughs> joining vacation. us today. We hope you're encouraged. We'll be back tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.